Welcome to episode three of Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer. And if you've missed either of our first two episodes with San Diego State assistant Dave Velasquez or UCLA beat writer for the LA Times, Ben Bolch, they're available on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this podcast on right now. And by the way, we're now available on iTunes, the free iHeartRadio app, Spotify, YouTube, just to name a few. Really fun conversations the last couple of weeks. Hope you'll give them a listen when you have the chance. And also, before we get started, please give Left Coast Sports an auto-download on your podcast platform. That means you'll get future episodes automatically. And while you're here and listening, switch over to Twitter and give me a follow there, at John Schaefer. That's J-O-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R, at John Schaefer. We're less than six weeks away from Selection Sunday, so we're taking a closer look at the men's basketball programs throughout the state of California. This week, we'll profile the UC Irvine Anteaters, the most successful program in the Big West over the last decade, and a team that's just two seasons removed from their first NCAA tournament win. Coming up this episode, I'll talk with the head coach of the Anteaters, Russ Turner. He's taken his program to unprecedented heights over the last decade. The UC Irvine story is one of the great success stories in mid-major college basketball since 2010. That's when Russ Turner took over the job after assistant coaching stops in both the NBA and college basketball. And he took over a job where Irvine was coming off consecutive losing seasons and had never reached the NCAA tournament in its 30-plus seasons in Division I. However, by Turner's third season in 2012-13, Irvine reached 20 wins for the first time in a decade. That was the start of their current run of winning 20 or more games in seven of the last eight seasons. In 2014-15, Irvine won the Big West Conference Tournament to reach the NCAA Tournament for the first time in school history and nearly pulled off a shocking upset of fourth-seeded Louisville in the first round. Two years ago in 2018-19, the Anteaters enjoyed their best season in school history, winning 31 games, reaching the NCAA tournament following a 28-point win over Cal State Fullerton in the Big West title game, and then they upset fourth-seeded Kansas State in the first round and were a win away from a trip to the Sweet 16 before Oregon had a furious second-half run in the round of 32, ending the Anteaters' magical season at 31-6. and The team had four All-Big West selections and a school-record 16-game winning streak. The Anteaters won another Big West regular season title last year and were well on their way back to the NCAA tournament before the cancellation of March Madness due to the pandemic. This season, Irvine was once again picked as the preseason favorite in the Big West, despite returning just one starter from last year's championship team in senior center Brad Green. They also returned Colin Velp, the son of a former NBAer and the reigning sixth man of the year in the Big West. Despite the extreme turnover from last year's team and also being the second youngest team in the nation with 13 underclassmen, UC Irvine has once again gotten off to a fast start in Big West play. Russ Turner has become the winningest head coach in UC Irvine history over the last decade, averaging more than 20 wins a season since arriving in Orange County. He's also been named the Big West Coach of the Year, not once or twice, not even three times, but four times during his tenure. The calling card has been his team's defense, finishing in the top 30 nationally in field goal percentage defense in each of the last eight years entering this season. And in 2014, the Anteaters had the third best field goal percentage defense in the nation. Here's my conversation with Coach Turner. He's trying to get the Anteaters back to the NCAA tournament again in 2021. All right, Coach, so you spent six years as an assistant in the NBA before taking this job a decade ago. What was it that made it so appealing to you, and did you envision when you took it you'd have this type of success potentially? Uh, Well, uh, thanks, John, for for the question. And, uh, 
Yeah, you know, when I took the job, um, I saw opportunity here at Irvine uh, because of the potential in this university. And uh, much of that is being realized. I think that uh, the university has grown. Its reputation is outstanding. Uh, there have been some incredible things that have happened here in the 10 years I've been here. And I think that we've been able to um, sort of ride that momentum and maybe help that momentum some by getting strong in our basketball program. Uh, we wanted to be able to do what we've done, but obviously, you know, at the beginning, that was um, a set of goals that we hoped to, to set out. Now we've uh, maybe adjusted the goals and, and, and raised them a little bit because we've had sustained success. And um, I, there's a lot of people who get credit for that, but i um, really happy to be a part of it here and excited to see what the future can still hold for us. How did you get your um, the program off on the right foot? You know, when, when you think about when you took over, what was the type of player that you were looking for? And what are the type of players you're looking for today? Well, I think when we got here, we had to figure out what would um, be a formula here at Irvine for success. And I think every college job, um, that's the that's the critical thing. What you know, what what identity as a basketball program is going to fit best to the university you're in? Uh, luckily for me, having been at Wake Forest and at Stanford, I had a couple of great models that I thought could be used here. And uh, we committed after my first year, where I inherited a veteran team, we committed to a player development program. We committed to recruiting size. Um, when I got here, I, I like to tell people that I was the biggest guy in the program. Um, and that's never been the case after that first year. We committed to re- recruiting big guys and to uh, bringing perimeter players in who can make plays around them and uh, want to be a part of you know, the type of program that we've built, which is one that's based on hard work and unselfishness and uh, togetherness. And so that's been reflected for us on the defensive end. Um, I think that we've now got an identity that we adjust every year to the strengths of our personnel, but that has been uh, pretty consistent in the last um, eight years. You know, we've we've played at a high level, and uh, we're doing that again this season. I'm excited about it. In terms of the defensive side of the ball, does it start there with you? If you're going to be on the floor for the Anteaters, you got to be able to play defense, because you guys have been like a top 25, top 30 caliber defense in the nation the last handful of years. Yeah, you, well, you know, I like to say that our defensive performance um, is reflective of our team's commitment and, and our team's, com- you know, our commitment to being tough and unselfish and hardworking and, and all the things we think go into success here at the University of California, Irvine. So, um, yeah, that is a big part of our identity. Um, and I do expect performance on that end. You know, it's uh, it's always a, a, a puzzle you have to put together as a coach and you're recruiting because what we found early on is that we might be able to get some higher-level players if we focused on recruiting defensive players. Um, and so we did that, and that has meant some that our defense has been ahead of our offense. And as our program's gotten better, now we're able to get better offensive players and we've got to blend the right guys together and um, – combine that with scheme and some other things so that we can remain really good on that end. Um, it's always adapting, I think, in any competitive business. In any really competitive business, you've always got to adapt, and, and we're doing that. Um, I do think that our guys like the fact that I ask a lot of them on the defensive end because that's the hardest set of stuff to buy into for most really good young players, and the guys learn to enjoy that. 
What made you want to get into coaching? I mean, I know you played at a tiny school in Farmville, Virginia, Hampton, Sydney. I actually spent some time working at Longwood College, which later became Longwood University, and went to Division oh, yeah. I. But what was it about your playing career that made you say that you felt like you had a career on the coaching side as well? Well, several things. Um, my mom is an educator, um, you know, and I've always uh, looked up to that profession. Um, and I had great coaches. I had all along my, my path uh, as a young guy uh, in high school, college, and in the places I've worked, I've worked for really outstanding coaches. And so uh, when I grew up, you know, coaches were held in high esteem. And it's uh, not quite the same now as, as it was then, but uh, that was, you know, my coaches were role models and they were excellent. And I thought that if, if I could learn to, um, give to players the same things that my coaches gave to me, that I would have a great impact on others and uh, potentially have an impact on the world. And um, that's big picture sort of how I look at it. You know, I think that uh, I've been very, very fortunate to work for the coaches I've worked for um, both, you know, where I started at Hampton, Sydney. I'm glad you mentioned that mm -hmm. Tony Shavers, a hall of fame coach, uh, Dave Odom, you know, was the uh, Wake Forest was the ACC coach of the year several times. Also, the SEC coach of the year. People out west know Mike Montgomery. Yep. He's a Hall of Famer. Was outstanding at uh, Stanford and took me to the NBA. Where um, after Mike left, I got to work with Don Nelson. So I've been with outstanding coaches all along my journey. And uh, what that means for me is that I've picked up some experiences. Hopefully, that I can pass on to others. And it feels good when you can have positive impact on uh, on young men and their playing careers and, and also in other areas of the lot. I want to ask you about this 2021 team because it's interesting. You've had so much success, but this is one of the youngest teams in the nation. How have you been able to reinvent yourself? Because once again, you're picked as a preseason favorite to win this league. Yeah, well, it's a good question. You know, we, uh, we, we started with two interior players, though, who were first-team all-conference players last year. I think Colin was actually named to the first team and and also by the end of the season Brad Green was playing at that level so we had two really um you know foundational pieces to begin with and then you know we've done a good job in our program of both recruiting and redshirting players and so we've never um been in a position where we're totally relying on newcomers uh, but the newcomers that we have this year in the in the class that you know are true freshmen with us are really good and we've got a couple of guys who redshirted last year, I think, who are also good. So while we are really young, it doesn't feel like we're all new. And so the guys who are young in this program are really hungry uh, to prove that they belong and to live up to the standard that uh, has been established in this program by other guys. And uh, I'm lucky to have two former players on my staff. And so there's a lot of continuity in our program, even though the, even though we're really young and uh, we've We've, we've risen to that challenge a little bit. We weren't able to do that against San Diego State. You know, when your network televised us, we got blasted over there. That was disappointing. But those are the type of things young teams have to go through in order to uh, to grow into something better, and I think we're in the process of doing that. Is it a coincidence, Coach, that you've ended up with all these guys with NBA lineages? Uh, lineages? Like, how's that come about? Colin, you mentioned, but J.C. Butler and Jerron Artest. How did you go about recruiting these guys? Yeah, well, it's not convinced. It's, it's – um, <laughs> Yes, it's not a coincidence. Um, when I got the job here, um, it was on the heels of working at Stanford where I coached Dan Grunfeld, whose dad, Ernie Grunfeld, um, was a longtime NBA player and an NBA GM. And 
in my experience as a recruiter at Stanford, I'd seen Dan, I'd seen uh, Kobe Carl, who's uh, with the uh, LA Defenders now. Both those guys were really undervalued as recruits because they hadn't fully physically developed. And so I'd seen that a, a number of instances. And so um, I also had the opportunity to coach Steph Curry at uh, Golden State, and who's another one who was a really undervalued recruit mm-hmm. um, who grew into more of what um, his father ha- had become, you know, just by developing later. And so one of the things I said here with the location of this place um, and other factors is that we should target uh, sons of NBA players. And in my first recruiting class, we did that with a kid named Chris McNeely, whose dad and I worked together at the Warriors. And so Chris was the first son of an NBA guy we had who became an all-conference player. But uh, once you have some success with that, it is more likelihood that you can have more success. And I think the combination of my NBA experience and the location we have and uh, a genuine interest in underdeveloped kids who might continue to physically come along and get better has led to us having a bunch of guys with a similar background. You know, I can't have you on without asking you about 2019, the 18-19 season, 31 wins, the upset over Kansas State, round of 32 in the NCAA tournament. What was the expectation for that team heading into the year? Well, we had we had really high expectations going into the season, uh, despite the year before our finishing 18 and 17. And that mm. was uh, looked upon around here as a little bit of a down year, but we had had one of the toughest schedules in the country the year before. And so my guys had gotten beat up and learned a bunch of lessons. And I thought we had improved in that off season with uh, a couple of major moves we made. One was bringing in a grad transfer from Stanford named Robert Cartwright. Um, But then we'd also had some other guys get healthy and we knew we had a good team. Um, And then early in that season, we, we had some outstanding wins. We went to Texas A&M and beat them on the last, um, last shot. And I think we also won that year at St. Mary's. And so we, um, we had some early season success and then kind of built momentum as the year went on. And then I think got a good draw in the NSA tournament and catching Sandy, uh, catching Kansas state. It was big 12 champions that year, but they were without one of their top players. And um, our guys had played against them a full year and a half before. And so I think they probably underestimated us a little bit and we knew them a little bit. And the combination of all those things meant that we played really well in advance. And, uh, what a lot of people don't remember is in the second round, you know, in a game that could have propelled us to the Sweet 16, we had a lead in the second half against Oregon before they closed us and beat us. But uh, we were we were a team that was good enough to do something special, and, and we think that we uh, are in the process of building that again here. You were also a team that was good enough of winning an NCAA tournament game in 2015, right? You played that incredible back-and-forth game with Louisville. Was that an experience when you look back on it that was beneficial for what happened in 2019? Yeah, there's no question. You know, all, all those kids that uh, accomplished what we did in 2015, you know, know that we're the first team from Irvine that year ever to go to the NCAA tournament. Mm. So there was a lot of pride um, and a lot that went into accomplishing that goal. It's it's really difficult when the people in your community think that there's something keeping you from doing it. It's really difficult to break through. And that group broke through. And I was especially proud of that team, not for just accepting um, that great victory as being enough. I thought we were really ready for Louisville and uh, we had a team that was good enough to win in that game and we played well and, uh, and had a shot in the air that, uh, that would have beaten them, but it didn't go in and uh, had a couple tough breaks coming down the stretch of that game to lose by one possession. But I think that gave everybody in our program some belief that, uh, that not only could we make the tournament, but if we 
were right. Um, we could be well prepared and have a chance to advance. And then the next time we had the opportunity, we did that. Uh, hopefully that's something that we can also continue to build on. So what is next for your program? With all these successes you've had, all the Big West championships, the tournament trips, uh, the victory over Kansas State, how do you elevate this program even further? Well, we're working at that every day. Um, we, I think, I think we all understand uh, that what we dream of here is possible, and that's uh, success in the NCAA tournament, advancement in the NCAA tournament. And yet, it's incredibly difficult to make it from our league. You know, typically only one team from the Big West goes to the NCAAs every year, but that platform is one that all of us aspire to, and so we work really hard to get better. And uh, the, I think that's the thing that defines our program most is our players buy into the work that goes into improvement. And if we can continue to play at a high level, continue to recruit guys who want to be something part, part of something special and who want to improve, then we think we can advance in the NCAA tournament. That's our goal. It's not to make it. It's to advance. And uh, we say it that way because there's not a limit on what that means. Um, teams have overcome great obstacles uh, to go on and do great things in the NSA tournament. That's one of the things that captivates the country's attention to it. And it's one of the things that uh, my guys and our program, we all dream of. And that's uh, something we're going to keep working at. The beauty of the NCAA tournament coach. We wish you continued successes. We appreciate a few minutes of your time here today and best of luck in the big West in 2021. Hey, thanks uh, guys for having me and UC Irvine on your uh, podcast. Thanks again to Coach Turner for taking the time for us today on Left Coast Sports. And those that follow the Big West would not be surprised at all if it's UC Irvine in the NCAA tournament this year for a third time in the last seven seasons. If you haven't already, please subscribe and auto-download future episodes of this show on whichever podcast platform you're listening to this podcast on. And please give me a follow on Twitter as well, at John Schaefer. That's J-O-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R. Also, coming this March to your view, Advance to Indianapolis, a four-week college basketball tournament show that follows local teams and players on their journey to a national championship. Each week, Advance to Indy reviews the previous weekend's rounds and looks ahead to the upcoming weekend. Each show airs four times per week with 16 total show airings throughout the tournament. Advance to Indianapolis includes interviews, expert analysis, and insight into the teams and players, along with local stories on the teams, players, and fans that make the madness of March so much fun. For more information, visit yourview.com. That's Y-U-R-V-I-E-W.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch up next week right here on Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer.